Hey there, Danny with Right Foot Down. I messed up this ad read so many times because I really wanted to tell you about Track Monkey Apparel. They make great quality, enthusiast shirts along with hats, stickers, watches, patches, you name it. A couple of my personal favorites are their Life is Better at the Track Tee and their One Track Mind Tee. You should really check them out and see for yourself. Their products are great for you or the gearhead in your life. Visit trackmonkeyapparel.com. You're listening to the Untitled Car Show in partnership with RightFootDown.com. Visit RightFootDown for your daily automotive fix. If you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend. It's the best way to support this show. If you want to visit the archives, go to YouTube and search for Untitled Car Show. That'll bring you to the archived episodes. If you want to follow the show, Just search for Untitled Car Show on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can always send an email to the show at untitledcarshow at rightfootdown.com. We're so glad you decided to spend the next hour or so with us. Without further ado, let's get into today's program. Here we go. Hi, welcome to the show. Uh, I am your host, Ike. Today we have Jason... uh, I already screwed it up. Chanel, I don't know what, how I managed to mispronounce that when I literally just pronounced it about 60 seconds ago. Uh, he's a little bit of a different guest than normal. Uh, Jason, it's a pleasure to have you on this evening. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, today's been a exciting exciting day in motorsports. It's been a couple exciting weeks in motorsports overall. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's get into that kind of right away then. So, uh, when we were kind of, first of all, let me apologize. Uh, there was a family issue. We had to reschedule. We were supposed to have Fails, uh, Andrew Fails, come and join us this evening just to kind of add a little bit more of an expert thing to the motorcycle end, and it just kind of fell apart, and you were so gracious to come on and reschedule with us this evening. So thank you so much. I just wanted to get that on the record. You know, Thank you for being so flexible and working with us and being with us this evening. So. Um, let's just no, kinda, no <laughs> yeah. so when we were uh, a little bit earlier in the day you made comment about uh, Honda and uh, Alonzo have had a bit of a rough day so for everyone who's uh, listening uh, today is the day that the Indy 500 and Monaco both, Monaco both happened and uh, I don't know how it's possible for Alonzo to have a bad day in two different races but he found a way so you know <laughs> I wasn't watching the 500. What exactly happened to poor Alonso? Um, basically, that um, I don't. This will. Uh, there's a there's a uh, moratorium on on spoilers, right? It's like, look, if you're trying to spoil something that came out, you know, X amount of time. We're recording this the day of. But obviously, the show doesn't get posted the day of. So, uh, spoilers ahead. Um, if there if that bothers you, then uh, I guess turn it off now. But uh, basically. Alonzo was, I think he was about sixth or seventh place with 20 laps to go. It was, it's been an eventful, eventful race. And once of different crashes, lots of cautions, uh, more so than usual, I would think. 20 laps to go, they're green flag, they're racing. This is, with Indy, there's different phases of the race. And usually about the last 20, 30 laps, it's hammered down, things get a little you know, crazy out there. Guys start making uh, more knife edge passes, stuff along those lines. Because you're to the end of this 500 miles, it's game time. 20 laps to go. Alonzo's Honda motor blows up. So, uh, ironically enough, everybody who's looking at it, they're like just heartbroken, right? Of as we know, if you follow Formula One all year, the story has been with McLaren in Formula One. Honda motors just keep blowing up. They can't, they can't keep these things running. And then he's about five or six back in 20 laps to go for the Indy 500, and his motor blows up too. So that's just what happened. That's the long story. Yeah, which is, you know, like you said, it's McLaren Honda in Formula One, and they just can't seem to keep these cars running. 
And then in Monaco today, uh, there was a fun little uh, exchange back and forth, you know, via, you know, long transmission radio from Indy to the guy who took his place uh, in the race um, about not messing up his car. And he threatened to pee in the seat. And then, what was it, a few laps later, more or less, he ended up uh, wrecking the vehicle, which is, you know, you lose. <laughs> the one car goes out because of engine problems. And then McLaren actually out uh, uh, pulled Hamilton, of all things, and then the car ends up being wrecked regardless. It's it, just kind of a shame what happened to Team Honda across the board in terms of racing today, you know. These cars are supposed to be reliable, and they just don't seem to be reliable anymore. So. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's, I mean, racing's racing, right? Nothing's guaranteed, but um, Honda's been – well, I, I have opinions about Honda's motorsports in general. We can go down that road if you'd like. But as far as the – both Formula One and Indy cars, you can't provide – What's what's the old adage, right? In order to finish first, first you must finish. And yeah. They, they've they've been the weak point. Yeah, no, it's true. And Alonso is a very good driver by every stretch of the imagination. I don't know if he's the best in the world by any means, but you got to give him a car he can finish in. And it's just nutty that. No matter what car he's gotten into, I don't know what he did in a past life to piss off the racing gods, but they decided that he is not allowed to finish a race. It, it just seems next to impossible. Like, at least he's able to go play racquetball, I suppose, because isn't that what he did after the last race when his car broke down? Yeah, I think it was, I don't know if it was during practice or qualifying or something. He was, I'm sure he has enough class not to just completely lose his cool, but uh, he probably just left the uh, circuit and he's like I'm going to go play some racquetball while they fix the car Yeah, which is I guess just cooler heads prevailed on that so um, let's kind of talk about, about uh, kind of get away from the motorsports a little bit because it, it's not an area of my forte because that's <laughs> it, it, I don't know why it, it's I just find uh, I enjoy watching racing, but it's just it's on too early. I think that's the issue. It just me getting up that that time of the day is just not going to happen. So um, especially with Formula One races, um, I watch it on tape delay. But um, yeah, so the l let's talk a bit about what is currently is your current stable of cars and motorcycles that you currently have. Sure. Um, Believe it or not, I, I do not own a car currently. Wow. Um, the girlfriend has a car, so if I need to go get dry cleaning or go to the store or whatever else, I'll, I'll snag her car. But um, I actually own two of the same kind of motorcycles. It um, Basically, one has stickier tires and a better suspension, and that is my, my racetrack bike. So um, there's close to – I live in Dallas – and within about an hour and a half of Dallas, there are two different racetracks that do a lot of amateur uh, track days, and they host some races and stuff like that. And then my other motorcycle, um, it has it's a little more comfy, it's a little more roomy, and I actually commute to work and run errands and stuff along those lines. So I have uh, two Triumphs, actually. How is it, I mean... Probably the best place in the country to have a motorcycle as a daily commuter would be Texas, simply because it's relatively warm, and you know Dallas in particular, the roads are big, and you don't. The drivers seem less nuts than other places in the country. I think probably because everyone's armed in Texas, so it's like don't piss off someone because you never know when the bullets will start flying. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Texas always gets like this weird reputation, right, of, you know, everybody's armed. Uh, we all ride horses to work. Um, you know, we wear big hats to the office or something like that. Right? You think it's 
uh, something out of like a John Wayne movie, but no, Dallas, uh, the running joke is that Dallas is a city with no soul, right? You could take Dallas and just drop it somewhere else and people wouldn't even notice. Um, there's a lot of other cities that have a, in Texas that have a lot more, I'd say, culture or more of a unique um, spirit to them than Dallas does. Um, but I would say, I mean, it's the same thing that drivers are inattentive everywhere. There are people that hog the left lane and go slowly everywhere. So I would say it's certain universals, right? The bad behavior is somewhat universal, especially driving in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. True. So how is it then uh, commute, commuting on a motorcycle every day? Is it is it really bad there? Is it okay? I mean, how far are you going and like, how often is it like you run into someone who is just atrocious at driving? Well, I'd say I run into people that are atrocious at driving every day, right? Uh, it's people are just, I'm all for self-driving cars. We can talk about that in a bit if you want. Because uh, basically it's just half the people um, these days are doing anything other than driving. They're Somebody had a Kindle the other day. Like, they were rolling down the road looking at their Kindle. It's like, are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. So, uh, Dallas isn't that bad. Um, the only times it commuting on a motorbike, when the weather's nice, I, I prefer it for the most part. Um, the only time things get really complicated are when either A, it's because Dallas doesn't really get snow. We don't get, uh, I live in a climate basically that allows these sort of things. If you live in Minnesota, your ability to commute on a motorbike is probably going to be limited to a couple months. Uh, Texas, you can basically ride, you know, probably about 11 months out of the year. There's one month that probably you don't want to deal with, but overall, it's it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's just something that's really hot, I'll be honest. Yeah. It's 100 degrees outside, and you're dealing with traffic on a motorbike. You're just pouring sweat, and you just want to go the hell home. Yeah, because... <laughs> You're not allowed legally to split split lanes there either, so I can't imagine when the traffic gets real bad and you're wearing um, the leathers that it would be the most pleasant thing to, uh, you know, be in down there. Because uh, Texas, I, I've been down there a few times now, and actually I like it more than I think I would have liked it. I actually, there's a restaurant in, I forget if it's Dallas or Fort Worth, that I actually really enjoy called Whiskey Cakes. Um, that was absolutely delightful, um, but the whole, like the, it seemed very hot and very humid all the time whenever I went down there. So maybe that's just my bad luck and going at the wrong time of the year. But you know, I can't imagine being on a bike and not having the leathers on. But then the <laughs> that temperature doesn't seem like it'd be very pleasant for. It. I I don't know. But again, this is this is like my weird like motorcycle like anti-motorcycle um brain like just i am a uh lazy person and to get dressed to have to drive uh would drive me nuts so maybe that's like the like big that's probably the biggest block i have between me and actually driving on a motorcycle so i don't know you I went off on a weird random tangent there, and I had no idea what the hell the question was supposed to be. But we'll, we'll circle back to this where we'll go. Um, you talked a bit about, uh, before we did this, about motorcycle uh, tours. And I was curious if you ever uh, went on one or, like, how those work. in your Because it, it seems like a good way to try and get into the hobby. Yeah, it does. I, I've done – so – I would like to do more, right? Because everybody, if you give everybody a choice, they would, there are certain things they would love to do more. And traveling is one of the things I would love to do. So I would say that probably the best way if you're going to go on a road trip, it would be with a motorbike. So I've done different stuff in Texas. I've done several trips to Arkansas, which is underrated, by the way. Um, I've done Dallas to Chicago and back which is about a thousand miles each way. Um, I need to do more. That's one of the things that's kind of like on my bucket list to, you know, just go do a motorcycle tour of Europe and then do some more motorcycle tours of 
like Argentina or Chile or something along those lines. And when it comes to road tripping on a bike, like what's really the, you know, there's a lot of upside and I'm sure there's a lot of downside. So kind of walk us through if someone's thinking about doing a tour or doing a road trip on a bike, like what they should like kind of brace for the good and the bad. Sure. I would say one, there's uh, several motorcycle touring companies that are out there. So if you, they're not cheap, but they're pretty awesome. So, excuse me. So if you say, okay, I want to, like you're you're based in the U S right? Like, Hey, I want to go spend three weeks in Europe touring around on a motorbike. There's several companies. uh, There's like Edelweiss tours, uh, there's a few other ones as well that basically you fly over there, they pick you up at the airport, they have bikes for you, they have tour guides, they have all sorts of that stuff. That's not cheap, but it is an option. Um, I would say go to a go to a place that you can speak the language. So um, I need to work on my Spanish better, to be honest. So the last time I had the option, I was in uh, Puerto Rico, actually of renting a bike. That's one of the things I wanted to go do. But once we started going around the island, I'm like, eh, maybe this isn't the best idea. Because, uh, you know, some some ways it's like, I'm not sure what the sign says. I don't know where I'm going. Maybe this isn't the world's best idea. So I would say as far as people are thinking about motorcycle touring, one, you want to have a, you want to have a bike that's reliable. That would probably be my number one sort of thing. You can't plan for everything, but... Before you leave, one of the best things you can probably do is take your bike by a shop and say, hey, I'm going to do a, whatever whatever your trip is going to be. Give the bike a once-over. Let's make sure that we don't have any surprises. Because with a motorbike, you can't really you – can, there's things you can do, like you can't carry a spare tire or anything. But there's other things you can do, like a compressor or whatever else you can take with you. And I would also consider the uh, the time of year that you're going because un- unfortunately, if you're on a motorbike, you're out in the elements. If it's hot, you get hot. If it rains, you get wet. If it's cold, you get cold. So it does put some limits on what you can do. So um, that's part of it. And then some of the best advice I received is basically you get a lot more fatigued on a motorbike versus being in a car. It's So you can do... Most people, they can just crank out miles in a car. On a motorbike, it's much more involved and it's much more fatiguing. Uh, Some of the best advice I ever received, and I I take this when I do trips, was take a a short break every hour. Uh, Basically, get off the bike, grab a soda, get some gas, walk around a little bit, and do that sort of thing. So anytime I'm doing longer distance stuff, about once every hour, stop at a gas station or a Starbucks or, you know, whatever else the exit happens to be. Stop, walk around, get off the bike a little bit, just, you know, kind of recenter yourself, check your phone or whatever else, and then after a little bit of a rest, hop back on the bike. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it. So when you go on a tour, I mean, I'm curious, so, in theory, could you take your bike? You said you went to Puerto Rico for one of these. Did you take your bike down there with you? Um, I did not. Mm, okay. So most places, there's, most places in the world, there's rental places. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that makes sense. I was I was sitting here thinking, like, well, it would make sense, too, because you could, like a shipping container, you'd have to use for a car, but you could, in theory, bring a bike with you if you really wanted to. Because it's not that much more heavy or that much more expensive than shipping a person, I would assume. But I have no idea. So I'm just kind of, you know, just thinking out loud here. Now, when it comes to driving long distances, and you said take a break every hour, but kind of, and you said you're out in the elements, but kind of one of the benefits of doing the touring is that you are, you're not driving through the country, you're driving in the country, right? Like you're yeah, much absolutely. more attached. Yeah. yeah, that's a good. That's a good way to put it. Because that is one of the things that um, I really, especially the way modern cars are, right? I, I hate to be the the luddite where I'm like, oh yeah, modern stuff is the devil, right? But um, 
modern cars are very they're very insulated, right? It's you're very insulated from the surroundings in a lot of ways, and that kind of kills the experience in some ways. So when you're on a motorbike, if there's a field that's or grass has just been cut, you can smell it. Um, you know, if there's wildflowers, you can smell it. If there's like variations in temperature or anything else along those lines, you can feel that. It's always cool. Like if you're like if it's during a warm day and you're riding like beneath these trees or whatever else, you kind of got like these pockets of cooled air that you can feel. Like you can't get that in a car. It's really very unique experience. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me to like there's so much about it that I I kind of want to experience, but then on the flip side of it, it's like I know how uncoordinated I am, <laughs> so I'm not sure if I'll ever really get to do it because I'm just a the wife knows how uncoordinated I am too, so that would also be a problem, but um. I don't know. It, it it seems like such a great thing. Now, can you, when you're doing these trips, do you stay at hotels, or is it this the sort of thing where you're bringing along like the least bit possible to go camping? Like, what is kind of the experience like? Um, I've never done motor camping personally. Uh, several of my buddies have. Um, they they say it's great. I mean, it's an, it's a great way to travel rather than spending a hundred bucks a night in a in a hotel. But. Um, when, when I travel, you know, I usually get a hotel room or uh, one of the things that you will find is that in a lot of cases that the motorcycle community is very, uh, very helping of others, right? So if people know that you're not a complete crazy dingbat, that while you're traveling, you can you can stay with folks in some cases. Um, I've done that several times. I've done that down to Austin, uh, different forums. I've done that in Houston, I believe. And then a few other places where it's like, look, we know the guy's not in that case. Um, we know that, you know, he's you know, a reasonably normal individual. Then people will either, either let you stay with them in some cases or they'll like, give you a local resource of, hey, um, this hotel or whatever else is very friendly to people on motorcycles. They give you good discounts. Go there. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. This is kind of my um... – you know, theory about like being able to poop places in a weird way where I'm like, you know, all all you want to do sometimes on a road trip is just have a nice place to go poop. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to do it at the rest stop. So it needs to be like, take a shit, give a shit. Like, you know, like that's that's what I'm going to call the app, basically, of like interconnecting everyone so we can all poop at each other's house just because uh, we don't want to use the weird public restroom. I think that's a good way to do it. Um, but no, it, it makes sense because forums and everything. And the great thing about the internet is connecting people with a similar passion to do all this fun stuff. And you know, you're able. I mean, really, on a motorcycle, if you're traveling around, you could do it on a shoestring budget because it doesn't take much gas. I mean, how much miles to the gallon is your Triumph, which is not a fuel-efficient vehicle, but still probably way more than you know even my little Ford Fiesta. Uh, mine's not bad. Um, the Honda, I used, I started riding. I had a, a Honda Cruiser. I would legitimately get about forty-five to fifty miles a gallon on that bike. But it was a great around-town bike. It wasn't meant for touring. Uh, the Triumph is pretty thirsty. I would say low thirties probably is what it gets as far as gas mileage goes. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, that's not a vehicle built to do uh economy runs whereas you know there are some bikes pushing i don't, I don't know you're you're the expert here so like what's a high end miles per gallon from a vehicle that you know a motorcycle that you is built for getting fuel economy yeah um it it depends that there's some that are doing 45 50 uh, some are doing more it just depends um some of those, I think there's a Honda, I think it's an NCX 700. Um, one of the guys I know has one of those. He talks about getting like 60 miles per gallon. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking like, that's that's great. I mean, it's it's his commuter bike and he, might, he takes short trips and stuff with it, but he gets great ma- gas mileage out of a uh, fairly fuel efficient motor. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. So, like, if you, I mean, if if you're thinking about going cross country, and you're thinking about doing it on the cheapest way possible, I mean, the method would be a motorcycle, simply because you could strap a backpack to to it with a camping, with some camping equipment in it. And, you know, call on a few friends across the way and get a vehicle that gets 60, maybe I, I maybe 70 miles to the gallon out of it and really experience this country, you know, driving from one coast to the other coast or wherever your destination might be. And I think that would be, I mean, that sounds like heaven to me, to be perfectly honest, of just being able to go out and explore and experience, you know, the world, because I think that's really what everyone really wants from any vehicle is just the, the ability to experience this great country, this great planet of ours. You know, what is life but to experience uh, events and places and people and all that. And I got very existential there and I didn't mean to, but I mean, I'm sure that's the attraction. Surely that's it for me, but I, I don't know. Is that the attraction for you or am I just speaking out my ass? So. No, that's part of it. I mean, it's, there's a... Um, a lot of people who ride, they talk about kind of like this, I wouldn't say existential experience, but there are very few things that are better than I've experienced in this life than a fast motorbike on a nice day. Like it's like I, I, my desires to go to like Six Flags or, you know, Bush Gardens or whatever else are gone. It's like I don't need a roller coaster. My, I have one parked up front, you know, it's like I can I get more joy out of riding a fast bike fast that I get out of just about any roller coaster. So it's, there's part of it. And there's also another kind of existential part of um, just kind of like this almost spiritual experience of when you're on the bike, it's on a nice day. I honestly, that's where I give a lot of gratitude. I'm like, I'm very thankful for the good things during my life. And I'm just going to give thanks to God. I'm just like, look, this is amazing. This is beautiful. I'm on a fast bike, open road, nice day. I'm not worried about what deadlines I have at the office. I'm not worried about these other things. It just kind of takes you away from some of those other things, and you just focus on the road and kind of the beauty that surrounds you. So and that's that may be a little like existential there, but it, it really is a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a bit then about how because I'm, I'm very curious then. So how did you get into riding motorcycles in the first place? Sure. I, I actually, I was the weird one in the family because I didn't ride. So uh, both of my grandfathers rode. Uh, my mom's dad, he had a, yeah, I think he had triumphs earlier in his life. And then later on, he got a Honda Goldwing. Um, I still have uh, family members that ride. So I just kind of picked it up a little later in life. I would say... Some people start really early. I was about about 27 or so when I started riding. I wanted a kind of a different transportation method. So uh, Dallas traffic has gotten increasingly bad. Now, if you're on a motorbike, you can use like special HOV lanes. That's how I get to work every day. Now, I just take the I just pop into the HOV lane and just go on the bike. And then I know lane splitting isn't legal, but uh, some of us do, on occasion, exhibit a little bit of civil disobedience. The key part is civil, as far as that goes. Yeah, it, it's it's not technically illegal because there's no law that says you can't do it. It just doesn't say it's explicitly legal. You know, that's like you know, there's no law that says you can turn right on a red, but there's no law that says you can't either. So, yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> that that's the way I I've had a couple of motorcycle guys justify it to me at least in the maryland area so um you said you got in at 27 so then you drove cars before that and you said the rest of the family was you know you had other motorcycle drivers in the family why do you think it took you so long to kind of pick it up um i don't know i mean i was always i don't know i was just always a always a car guy up to that point and uh, I probably, I mean, to this day, I've, I mean, I've got, uh, if, I, if you do the numbers, I've got probably about 80, 85,000 miles or so on a bike, and I've got probably twice that in a car, if we're going to pair, like, all the experience. So, um, you know, I do love cars, so 
I know there's a car show. I do love cars. We can, we'll talk more about that in a, in a moment if you'd like. But um, I don't know, just something different. I I don't I don't have a good clear answer for that, but mm-hmm. uh, it's something I'm glad I found. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's one of these things where you know part of the show is you know cars, but then the other part of it is I, I just like to pick people's brains in this industry and just kind of like get to like what it is and I, i'm because this is a thing in my life where uh no one's really been a big motorcycle person around me i think there's been like one or two people in passing who've been really into that and it's something where it makes total sense when you go down the checklist of life like it's fuel efficient it's fun it's cheap it's easy to maintain you know it's all these things that you can really uh, sit there and go this makes sense on so many levels but then uh, there's a apprehension aspect um, not only you know my apprehension but then the people around me are like well you don't want to do that because of x y and z reasons and blah 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 and it's just so fascinating to me that you picked it up later in life and you know because it, it is most of the gearheads I know have been riding since or motorcycle. I don't know. What is the proper term for motorcycle enthusiast? Just a motorcycle enthusiast is not like a motorhead. Like what do you call a motorcycle enthusiast? Um, exactly that. There's not um, not another term for it, really. I mean, there's a, you can say biker, quote unquote, but that, uh, at least to me, has slightly different connotations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fact that you picked it up at a stage later in life where most people are kind of getting out of motorcycles I would say is kind of fascinating to me so what was the car you got out of when you got into biking uh, Nissan Sentra okay that's that makes a little more sense all of a sudden yeah. Yeah, so I mean prior to getting into biking like let's talk a bit about the cars you own so what, what did you learn to drive you know car wise then um, I learned, um, let's see, I, I learned to drive stick on a Nissan 300ZX. Okay, nice car. Yeah, yeah that, was the, uh, that was the, whatever the generation before the 90s one was. It was like the 87 or 88, that older uh, body style is how I learned to drive stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say uh, both my parents, they had, they had okay cars growing up, but they never had like anything really super cool mm. so then what was the first car you had you know after you got the driver's license i had a I had a 68 ford mustang coupe that's pretty badass so yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it was great it was one of those things where it's like i want that and i'm gonna go buy it because a um a friend of my dad's he he was he was also a car enthusiast so he had a he had like kind of two of these Mustangs, right? So he had uh, one that he had built up. He put, I, th- I forget what he had in it. It was like a 302 stroke to like 327 or something. Put out a ton of power. And I guess it was just, I mean, part, I don't know if you can say this on the show or not, but this, this thing was just badass. So, it, you know, I get around this, you know, friend of my dad's. It's like, this is a really cool car. And then he had this other Mustang that um, he hadn't really done much with. And eventually he's like, you know, I'm going to cut it loose, whatever else, if you want to sell it, I'll sell it to you for a you know, reasonable price. And I did. So it was like a, this was a 90, I want to say 96 or 97 at this point. Uh, I was in high school, and every high school kid wants a car as soon as they can get one. So I believe I bought that car for, I want to say 3500 bucks, mm-hmm. And I put, uh, I think I put like two and a half grand down and I owed him a grand. He's like, well, every two weeks or, you know, whatever else, you owe me X amount. And, you know, I'll expect it by that Friday or whatever else. So I paid the man like two and a half grand. I owed him the extra. And then I paid off the car that way. Hmm. That's pretty badass. And then, I mean, that's a, did it have the V8 in it? Did it have the straight six in it? Like, what, what was the engine sitting in that thing? Uh, it had the straight six, but somebody had done a little bit of work to it which is weird to do to a uh, straight six um they they put a dual exhaust on it 
Um, they made some tweaks to the carb and a few other things. So there was, there was the straight six, but um, it had a little bit more juice than normal. It wasn't a, a fast car by any circumstances, but, um, you know, if their first car was probably a good choice. Mm-hmm. I actually did the suspension on it, which was actually a very good investment. Yeah, because yeah, the, the, the Achilles heel on those cars was the suspension, and redoing it would be just like a godsend and turning it, you know, from kind of a fun car to a good car, I would say. So, mm-hmm. but I actually really like the straight six. I, I If I could get my hands on one, I think I would get the straight six just to be a little bit different. Just not that there's any probably left out there because they've all been turned into V8s at this point. But uh, I don't know. Well, hmm? That's not an easy procedure, by the way. I did the research, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it seems like, um, you know, everyone who had one sitting around, though, when they hit the, you know, point in their life where, uh, let's say they wanted a cool car, a little bit more self-tanner, and started wearing, like, I don't, I don't know what the midlife crisis, uh, like, I guess the sunglasses are always, like, the midlife crisis announcement, like, just like old dude with sunglasses on for no good reason. Um, like they, they seem to want to do a V8 swap on that because I, I see a lot of those in the area where it's a newer Ford motor V8 in those cars. But it, it's an interesting vehicle as the first car. So how long did you manage to keep that out of the weeds before it eventually, because there's no way that car survived your teenage years. It just couldn't have, right? Um, unfortunately, it did not. So, <clears throat> uh, long story short, this was what year was that? It was my senior year of high school, I think. So I, I didn't have it for long. I had it for probably about a year. Um, like I said, I redone the suspension. Um, I had a new set of tires on order. So I basically I put probably put it. Now this is twenty years ago. So I, this is a high school kid throwing about a thousand bucks into the suspension on this thing. Um, I put new shocks on it, new um, new sway bars front and rear. Um, let's see, leaf springs out the back, and the front coils, I think, lowered it by about an inch and a half. So this thing handled well. And basically there was uh, one day I was headed to school in the morning, and a lady just, old lady just out in front of me. I had no nowhere to go. There's a guy to my left in like a, a kind of like an arm code on my right. I had nowhere to go. Um, I tried to clear to the left. I didn't quite make it. So the right front of this Mustang hits uh, this old lady's car, and I was fine. I was completely fine. Uh, but both cars were were done, unfortunately. Mm. That's the Mustang never survives the teenage years. I don't know why, but that that's a shame to hear. <laughs> so. I'm sure you were yeah, well, pissed. That's my fault. She got the tickets, so yeah. I, I still hang out on that. Yeah. It, it, it's just there's a curse put on every teenager who has a Mustang. It's just it, it's not allowed to survive. It's like, you've made it to senior year. We'll take care of that. So I'm sure you're devastated because you put a ton of money into this car and a ton of time into it. So then what were you, you know, forced into following that? A, what year was this? This was 90, it was 96. A Saturn, it was a Saturn SC2 after that. So it was the, uh, it, it was a, the, the, the twin cam version that came with like 120 horsepower. That's what it's called, apparently. Yeah, see, it's, it's, it's the fun car is always followed by uh, something crappy. I don't know why that is, but like, did your parents get a hold of you, or was this just the only car the insurance money would pay out? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, I was kind of pressured into it uh, by my dad a little bit because um, I wanted something else cool. Because we drove like a we drove like a train like a. I wish I wish I bought something. So we bought a. So I was looking for more like classic cars. That's what I like. That's one. I want another one. Uh, we drove a. I think it's like a 78 Trans Am or something like that. Uh, the transmission was borked. Like, it was a four-speed, and there was no third gear. So I got up, well, we're going to roll that one out. Um, there was a, I think it was like a 71 Mach 1 or something. had a monster motor in it. 
And after <laughs> my dad kind of ruled that out for me, he's like, nope, you're not buying that. You know, I'm like, oh, dad, I want that car. He's like, nope. <laughs> he's like, out of the question. That, uh, when you're 17, a uh, 71 Mach 1 seems like a great idea, but I was overruled. I'm just saying it'd be worth a lot of money now. That's all I'm saying. So. Yeah, no, back then, I mean, it's that's the thing, because I see some of this stuff of, uh, what I could have bought, right? It's always the hindsight of, of stuff appreciating. This was late 90s, so there was a lot of stuff that's worth Looney Tunes amount of money now that you could get for nothing back then. Yeah, which is just <laughs> so nutty. But instead of the Mach 1, you ended up in a Saturn, which is, you know, I like Saturns, but that's just so sad. Like. <laughs> Yeah, and it, oh, by the way, it ate alternators like you would not believe. There was some sort of a factory design defect, and every six months, actually, probably not even six months, I need a new alternator. Yeah, that sounds like the Saturn I know. Uh, yep. yeah. uh, those little twin cams were, uh, when they didn't work, they would just devour money, which is such a shame. Um, which is why you don't see a lot of them driving around. Well, that and they all rusted out from the inside out. But uh, so I've seen a progression as to why maybe you started heading towards bikes here because we have a Saturn, you know, as car number two, and then we end in a Sentra. So what are we looking at between the Saturn and the Sentra? Uh, we are looking at a, a 4x4 Blazer, um, a, a Chevy, the Chevy, whatever the official designation is, but uh, Chevy two-door Blazer 4x4 with the, I think it's a 4.3 liter uh, V6, if I remember correctly. Well, that's a nice vehicle. The uh, little off-roady, very Texas, I would say, that vehicle. Like, when you think Texas and you think, like, you know, what kind of vehicle? Blazer is, like, up there in the list. Like, lifted pickup truck. I say would be number one, but the Blazer is probably in the top ten cars of Texas. So, you know, why the Blazer to a Sentra? Um, well, basically the Blazer that um, it had a, it had a ton of miles on it, right? So it would have needed a bunch of work. Knowing what I know now, I would just kept it because it really needs some work. But with that work done, it would have ran, ran forever. The um, the Sentra, actually, the Sentra I bought brand new. So I finished I finished college in 2005, and I'm like, you know what? I've got a little money saved up, plus my graduation money. I'm gonna, you know, I'd like to buy a new car. So I did. Mm. I mean, it makes sense. It's a perfectly reasonable little account box. I'm kind of shitting on it a little bit, but, you know, it, it makes sense. It's fuel efficient. It's not the worst place to be on the inside of. So, um, but I could definitely see, you know, you started off with, you know, you learned to drive stick on a 300. You had a 68 Mustang in the beginning, and you're seeing a lot of this, you know, these fun vehicles you know early on and then Sentra, Saturn, Blazer not what I would say are good driving vehicles very good vehicles to own but you know I can see why maybe you had to scratch the itch of performance driving with a motorcycle so yeah there's a basically power to weight ratio of most motorbikes that it's just it's just amazing. It's most people either they don't if they don't ride they don't understand that. Of if you look at quarter mile times for motorbikes and then you do something comparable over to cars, for fifteen grand you can buy a brand new motorbike that will get you quarter mile time performance that you would have to spend basically hundreds of thousands of dollars on a car to get that kind of straight line performance. Yeah, and it's, again, that, that's why the motorbike makes so much sense from just a, like, rational sense of mind. I don't know why, you know, I don't know why it really didn't take off in this country like it's taken off in other parts of the world. It just never, you know, they've become, there's a lot of people who have, you know, maybe 
a car and a motorbike, but there's not a lot of people like yourself who just have two bikes and then a backup car, you know. So, so I, I'm really intrigued by the idea, and I, I really, you know, this is where we need fails on so we can kind of bring some uh, enlightenment to this, but it's, you know, is this something you think you're going to be doing for the next 10 years, for the next 15 years? Like, how long do you think you're going to be able to do, like, just own a couple of bikes? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, for the most part, I mean, I would say, I, I hate to play the card, but until I have kids, right? Mm. You can't throw the kids on the motorbike when they're real small. That doesn't work that way. So I don't want a minivan either. <laughs> we'll... Uh, We'll talk about that. We're going to have to do a Subaru WRX or something fun, right? Four doors, throw the kid in the seat in the back, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I would say, seriously, it's a lot of people, I would say, buy more than they need, right? So you've got all these people that are sitting in traffic. Um, there's one person in a Tahoe on their way to work, and they've got all this extra capacity that they either don't need or really don't ever use. So I... I, I think it's more of a thing of how much do we, I hate to make the play of how much do we really need as a society, but I think other countries are going to do this better than we do in some ways of they buy what's more practical or more what they really need rather than buying a huge SUV. That and the laws are right, written slightly differently as well, like especially the UK or other countries around the world that people on a motorbike is not this weird like thing right everybody does it um i had a guy from vietnam tell me he's like look in my country if you have 100 people you have 100 scooters or 100 motorbikes in your country if you have 100 people you have 100 cars and he was right so i, I think it's not necessarily that it's not unheard of it's just america is a bit of an anomaly if you take the world as a whole on the way motorbikes are looked at. Most places around the world, it is legit uh, transportation. Mm -hmm. It's just America that it, it's, we, we don't look at it that way. It's, we look at a motorcycle in the same way as we look at a, like a boat, right? Like, hey, it's a cool thing to take out on Saturday, and after that it goes back in the garage and we don't worry about it. Whereas most of the world, um, that's not really the case, right? If you go to Europe or some of these other places that, that's how they get around. They may have a car, they may do rail or whatever. Mm -hmm. and it, it's much more sense than we allow it to have. Yeah. No, it, it, you, you hit on something we've talked about before on the show. And, you know, people buy a vehicle. And what drives me nuts is when they buy a vehicle and they go, you know, well, I have, I have to have seven seats in it because, you know, occasionally we drive around with grandma in the car or we drive, you know, the other kids to school or you never know when I'm going to need to buy sheetrock and like bulk. Like you can always rent a car. And I think that's the thing a lot of people don't factor in. Like you don't need the car for all occasions. You need a car that suits you 80% of the time. And 80% of the time, a motorbike will do you just as good. Maybe... In some areas, you need some air conditioning or some heat. But, you know, by and large, why not motorcycle? And, um, you know, what is... Because you went from commuting in a Sentra, which is what most people drive, probably while they're listening to this, is probably something, you know, four wheels, you know, good fuel economy, you know. But, you know, what's your... What's the greatest thing about commuting in a bike as opposed to commuting in the Sentra? Um, I would say, uh, one, there's the use of HOV lane stuff along those lines, right? So yeah. half the time on the way to work, I have HOV lane all to myself. Everybody else is stuck in traffic on the other side. Um, that's a big part of it. Well, those are part of it. Um, I would say, I hate to say lane splitting is a thing, but it is a thing. Traffic jams are optional. Um, if you, you know, there's a big wreck and everybody's basically not moving, I have a basically get out of traffic free card. I try to use it wisely. Uh, some, everybody, as soon as you mentioned lane splitting, everybody has this idea of a dude doing like 80 through traffic between cars 
and ride like a jack wagon. No, we, that's not the way that works. Those are the negative examples. Yeah. Um, I would also say the power to weight ratio. So, <coughs> excuse me, that it's so much easier in traffic on a bike than in the car because I can hit spaces in traffic and I can do other things on the bike. They're a lot more difficult in a car with, it's basically not that fast. So if you take the advantages of, say, like a nice Corvette or a nice Porsche or something along those lines, with that amount of feedback and that amount of speed and the, the amount of um, ability to make quick moves, um, to amplify that and magnify that in traffic, and you can you can do things. Mm-hmm. And, like, you work in, I imagine... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I just brought up work and it just made you vomit. I apologize for that. But you work in an environment where I'm sure what you drive to work in, you know, because I have a few of these too, where you show up, you know, into road leathers and that's not going to quite cut it in the uh, work environment. So, I mean, is this a thing where you have to bring a change of clothes with you or is throwing the stuff over top of your business attire good enough? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I dress... I work for a marketing agency, so I mean, I dress normally. I'll wear. It depends if we have client meetings or not, right? So, I'll wear motorcycle boots. I'll wear like a regular pair of jeans. I'll wear a dress shirt, and then I'll throw like a motorcycle jacket and gloves and helmet over top of that. So, if you just if you just saw me in the like the hallway or whatever else, you'd be like, oh, there's a guy in a dress shirt and jeans, right? You you know, it'd be fine. If I had a place where I had to wear a suit every day or something along those lines, it'd be a different discussion. But, I mean, it's, for the most part, if I'm wearing a nice dress shirt uh, tucked into a pair of jeans, 95% of the time, nobody, that's going to be fine. That's professional and that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot Texas. Like, you can wear cowboy boots, like, everywhere. And that, that's a thing that's socially acceptable. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah. No, it, it's my my resounding memory of flying into Dallas the first time is the moment we got off the airplane. It was like it was out of a movie. Like everyone there was wearing cowboy boots, but the first guy we saw had like a ten gallon hat on and like the bolo tie and like the giant cowboy boots. And I went, "Well, this guy, this guy's obviously here just to like be like a setup because like you want to see that when you come to Texas, and he's that's just his job, just to like." Be like, yeah, you've seen Texas. Now go experience Dallas. Like the rest of it's not quite like this. Um, I don't. It, it's. I, I'm fascinated with the idea. I, I like. I, again, if there's nothing, I really want to do more than get on a motorbike and just try it and just make sure it is for me. Um, so. You know, I'm feeling the same way maybe you felt around 27 about it, where, you know, it's a fascinating idea. I, I really like the idea of touring doing it because that seems like that would be the most fun way to experience motorcycles and the environment. So um, I kind of want to wrap up here since we have you and I, I have my little uh, questions. I always ask the guest for the evening. So, uh sure. These are kind of just off the cuff, you know, I call them the inside the actor studio questions. They're as car and, you know, enthusiasts. These are the answers as we sit today because they always change day by day because we always have changed opinions of stuff. So the first question is the one that always drives everyone nuts, which is what's your favorite car? Mm, That's a good one. Um, I got to go with the... uh, the 67 uh, Shelby GT500 Fastback, uh, Eleanor from the Garden 60 Seconds with uh, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Does this one have Nicolas Cage in it, or is he just optional? Um, he's definitely optional. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is your least favorite car? Uh, the Toyota Prius. I agree uh, with Jeremy Clarks completely. I hate that car. <laughs> That, that, that is a common answer in this segment. What modification trend, so we're talking brodozer stance, you know, whatever, uh, do you 
like the most? Do you find yourself attracted to? Um, good question. Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you're in Texas. I'm sure you see a lot of, you know, bro trucks. You know, that's a pretty common one. Uh, Stance, donk. Dallas has a big donk scene, don't they? Um, some. Yeah, I haven't really seen any stanced cars in Dallas. Mm. Yeah. Big modification trend. Um, I don't know. Make it go faster. That's all I got. <laughs> I, I mean, that's... Uh, we'll just put that one down as resto mod. I don't know, like, or uh, we'll just put turbo, turbo. It, this all comes. This all comes back to us, you know, Gazunte. Uh, what modification sure. trend do you find yourself least attracted to? Uh, Stancing your car. That that baffles me. I have no idea. Yeah. It, again, very common answer with that one is because it turns a car into a thing that's no longer a car, really. So. Uh, what car do you dread to be stuck behind at a red light? A Lexus SUV. That's a that's a newish one. Why a Lexus SUV? Well, the people who own them tend to be bad drivers. I always thought it would be like BMWs, where the guys that were the people who drove like they owned the road and the rules didn't apply to them. Um, I've lately noticed, for whatever reason, this may just be a Dallas. Um, you know, soccer mom thing or whatever it is, but whoever buys Lexus SUVs, in my opinion, I stay away from them on the road if I can get away with it, because I've seen more jack wagon driving from Lexus SUVs than anything else. Hmm. I did, that's a good reason, and I would agree with you. In the area, it tends to be in the DC area. It tends to be pretty much the same thing with the Lexuses for whatever reason. I think it's because it's the vehicle you buy when you have money and want people to think you give a shit about driving, but you really don't give a shit about driving. Um, well, my, my joke about the Lexus SUV is, yes, I'm going to buy this Lexus, Lexus SUV so I can signal to everybody else that I've now become middle class, right? It's just yeah. like, no way. Just please stop buying those, learn how to actually drive, and please pay attention while you drive because they do not pay attention. No. And in my mind, they're always the same terrible kind of off-white, like kind of silvery color. Like, they, they, they don't exist in any other color besides that. Um, and champagne is another good one. Uh, what automotive sound or noise do you love? Um, a nice exhaust, a nice good aftermarket exhaust. Mm. What automotive sound or noise do you hate? Um... Good question. A good, uh, a typical answer here is like brake squeal is a lot of it. Um, those little whistle pipes, uh, fart cans is a pretty common one. I will go with the fart can um, exhaust. Now, fortunately, those aren't those. Those were a thing for a while. I haven't really seen one in, in some time. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, sir, I envy. So. <laughs> no, I seriously like they were they were a thing for a long time, and it's it's probably been months since I've actually heard one. So. Um, but yeah, no. When that when that does happen, I do not like it. Yeah. Um, so, what is the hardest food to eat while driving? I want to go with uh, tacos. Tacos is very tasty. Yeah, tacos is a good one. That one comes up a lot. I have done the tacos while driving. Is difficult. Does make a bit of a mess. Um, what is your automotive pet peeve? Mm, how much time do you have? Uh, I have as much time as possible. I'll just go do some laundry, and I'll come back in about an hour. So. Okay, that's probably how long it'll take. Um, I'll go for the short answer. I'll just give you a couple. Um, people driving slowly in the left lane. Mm -hmm. Stop that. <laughs> if you're hearing this, stop it now. Mm -hmm. Merge right. Everyone who's listening, just merge right. Uh, <laughs> Please. So, yeah. No, I agree with you. That that is a common one, and that that drives me nuts. Especially when I used to live in more rural area, I, just mind baffling to me. Um, so we'll, we'll end on this question. So we, you have to drive one of these two vehicles, and you're not allowed to modify it, 
after it's given to you. And this is the vehicle you're going to have uh, your primary daily driver for the rest of time. So we have a 67 GT500 fastback done up as Eleanor, but it's been stanced out. Or a Toyota Prius, but it's been turbocharged and has a larger electric motor in it to make it go faster. I'll take Stan Stillnor every time. <laughs> you even have to think about that one. Even though you hate the stance, you're just going to take that Eleanor regardless, huh? Absolutely, yeah. Those Hellbrands knockoff wheels will look like garbage, but that'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to wanted to ruin the driving experience just a bit to know that you couldn't go over any speed bumps just a little bit. And you could be in a Prius getting 67 miles to the gallon while uh, driving at 80. You know, I'm just saying. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the saying? You pay your money and you take your choices, right? So, yeah, I, no, I uh, got you. You've yeah. made your mind, you're sticking to it, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on this evening. We're right about at time. So, uh, again, for the people listening, um, it's Jason Chanel. I screwed that up at the beginning, I think, a little bit. So we got it there. Um, you have a website people can go visit if they want to, you know, check a little bit more out about you, right? Um, I have different social media stuff. Um, basically, I have my own website, it's jasonchanel.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, lphoenix, E-L underscore F-E-N-I-X. I'm on Instagram. I'm also on uh, Facebook as well. So um, jasonchanel.com is probably the easiest way to find me. Um, that site gets updated sometimes, but, you know, it's still the one way to find me. Excellent. Well, sir, it's been a pleasure to have you. I'm going to say goodbye to you off air. Everyone who's listening, I'll be right back in just a moment. And I got to remember to hit the button. And there